this series, his name is Jesus. If you have your Bible this morning or your device or you have a good memory, flip in there to Luke chapter 1. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus being our new day. Amen. We talked about how he's a mighty God. We talked about how he is our absolute peace. And I remember over in uh, Matthew chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but down around about verse 20, 21, 22, the Bible says the angel came to Joseph and he told him, he said, Joseph, fear not to take Mary unto your wife, unto you as your wife. For this thing that is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, God saves. The Lord is salvation. His name shall be Jesus. And it went on to say he shall save his people from their sins. Now, right at the beginning, when Jesus comes on the scene, we hear the word sin. Uh, he's not ashamed to say it. And I know there are a lot of people who feel like, hey, I'm a good person. You know, I, I do things right. But the Lord wants us to know this morning that when you're born into this world, David said, I was shapen in iniquity, born into sin. And so even if you don't want to sin, even if it's not on your mind, your flesh is already born into that. And so everyone needs a Savior. And God sent us a Savior. Jesus is a mighty God. Jesus is our peace. But his primary purpose in coming to this earth was to save that which is lost. And I thank the Lord this morning that he saved me and that he saved you. With the cross, amen? So he is a savior. And in that, Jesus is our new day. He's God's only son. Come on. The savior of my soul, everlasting. We're talking about Jesus this morning. Always loving, never failing, strong in every storm. He's our healer and he's our redeemer. He's our mighty God. He is our peace. He is our Savior, and Jesus is our new day. Over in Luke chapter 1, if you scroll all the way down to verse 78, you'll see that first in the New King James Version, it says, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring, come on, from on high has visited us to give light. To, the, to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's words translation puts it this way. It says, a new day will dawn on us from above. A new day. Because our God is loving and merciful. He will give light to those who live in the dark and in death's shadow. He will guide us into the way of peace. How many know this morning that Jesus is our new day? Come on. He's our new horizon, springing forth new mercies, new life, breaking forth, come on, out of the darkness and awakening unto a new season. Jesus is our new day. 
He tells us that a man with his hand to the plow looking backward is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because there's a new day dawning. Everything was changed when little baby Jesus came on the scene. Come on. God had not spoken to his people for 400 years. And there was nothing like him the previous 4,000 years. They heard God's voice from the sky. They heard his voice from a burning bush. They heard his voice through the prophets and the oracles and the judges. But now they would hear the voice of God in their own ear. The voice from heaven. A new day is dawning. Jesus is our new day. We must embrace the new day, but it has to be God's way. Come on. True story, there was a missionary in Africa who felt like a failure. Everything he tried, he felt like he failed at. So he decided that he needed a new beginning, a new day. So he went down to the beach, parked his car there with his keys in it, wallet, clothes inside, and he just walked away. To everyone who knew him, they thought he was dead. Something had happened to him. He'd been captured. He left behind his failures along with his wife and children. He also left behind his God in doing that. He left his old life for a new life. He went to new cities, made new friends, tried new jobs. But he was absolutely miserable. And after a number of years, he found a new day. But this time, God was the author of his new day, not himself. He found himself at the altar in a church service, Spirit of God apprehending him for a new day. This time, the new day was of restoration, mercy, and hope. Restoration to his family, yes. Mercy from God for his past failures and hope for a new future ahead. He returned after five years of being away. God rejuvenated him, shaped him, molded him, and he started a prison ministry. Reached out to minister to the lost and the rejected by society and ended up pastoring a church. You see, we can all want a new day, but it has to come God's way. We must understand that Jesus is our new day. There's not a formula that's our new day. There are not some principles that are new day, but our new day lies in a person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is our new day. I just want to exhort you just for a few minutes this morning on the new day that Jesus is and the miracles that this new day brings. First of all, my new day brings me new mercies that never fail. Come on. Lamentations 3:22 puts it this way. It talks about God's loyal love and how he can't run out of it. Come on. His merciful love, it's impossible for it to dry up. There he created, new every morning, mercies for us.
great, great is his faithfulness. It's something to imagine that every morning there is a new mercy waiting on me. Because if you understand mercy, mercy and grace are two different things. Many of us put them together, grace and mercy, mercy and grace. You see, grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's getting what you don't deserve. But the mercy is the absolute forgiveness of God. It's not getting what you do deserve. Come on, somebody. And a new mercy is waiting on us every morning when we open our eyes in the case that we might fall short. Now, somebody said, well, if there's a new mercy waiting on me, then it doesn't matter what I do. But Paul would tell you what? God forbid. Oh, don't test God now. Uh, His mercy is not to be taken advantage of. We are accountable. But to those with their heart toward God, there is a new mercy waiting on you every morning. God creates a new mercy, a mercy that hasn't been there. I'm not talking about an old, dried-up mercy. I'm not talking about a mercy where he's tired of forgiving you because you keep doing the same thing over. No, I'm talking about a new mercy that you've never seen before. There's a new mercy awaiting you every morning when you open your eyes. Now, here's the kicker. Somebody say, I want to be like God. Come on. Say, I want to be like him. God creates a new mercy every morning. And if we want to be like him, we must also have a new mercy every morning. Come on, somebody. Now, we said we want to be like him. I heard you. You don't get to pick and choose which aspects of God you want to be like. You either want to be like him or not. And so if you want to be like him, you've got to be like all of him. Come on. A new mercy every morning. God's mercy is his graciousness. It's long-suffering. It's goodness. It's compassion, kindness, sympathy, and unconditional love. And it's toward you and me. In the early days of his presidency, Calvin Coolidge was asleep one night in his hotel room. Another true story. He awoken to a cat burglar going through his drawers and going through his clothes and looking for things. And he woke up and he spoke up and he asked the burglar not to take his watch chain because it was engraved and it was a charm that he wanted to keep. So the burglar agreed. Coolidge then engaged the thief in conversation right there, 2 a.m. And he discovered that it was a young man and he was a college student who had no money to pay his hotel bill or to pay his way back to campus. Coolidge counted $32 out of his wallet that he had already convinced the burglar to give back to him. Come on. And he gave him the money, and he said, listen, this is declared to be a loan to you. And then he advised the young man to leave a certain way so that the Secret Service wouldn't notice him. And at that moment, he realized this is the president of the United States. He didn't know whose room he'd broken into. And you ought to know 
that a few years later the loan was paid back. If we're going to be like God, we must have a new mercy. Come on. I believe Coolidge showed a mercy there that he didn't have to. You see, I believe that if you do something like that against the president, I don't know that you can, you might be up for the death penalty. Come on. I mean, you break in the president's room. Can you imagine breaking in the president's hotel room and doing all that and then he catches you? You might get the death penalty. But instead of death, he chose mercy. God looked at you and instead of death, come on, he chose mercy. When you look at someone who offends you, what do you choose? Oh, come on now. Oh, it's a different story when our shoes are in the shoes. Come on. Who's the judge? Oh, we said we want to be like him. And he brings us a new mercy every morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for a new mercy every morning. His mercy endures forever, and they are new every morning. I heard Joyce Meyer say one time, I'm so glad that there's a new mercy every morning because I used all of it up yesterday. <laughs> Come on. I need a new one. I don't know about you. I need a new one every morning. New day also brings me new thoughts that lift me up. You know Jeremiah 29, 11. God said, for I know the thoughts I think towards you. I know them, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. If God thinks that way about you, we need to evaluate how we think about ourselves. What do you think and what do you say about yourself? Uh, we need to leave negative thoughts behind. And I hope you hear me on this one. Because I know you agree that Jesus is our Savior. I know I get some amens on that. I know that uh, you agree that Jesus has mercy. I know I get a few amens on that. I know you agree that the Lord is a mighty God. I get three or four more amens on that. Come on. Oh, I know you agree that Jesus is peace because you've read the scripture. He is our peace. But you must also understand that Jesus thinks the world of you. I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of good and not evil. Hear me, says God this morning. Thoughts for a future and a hope, an expected end. I know my thoughts toward you. What are your thoughts toward you? We need to leave behind the thoughts that bring us down. Stop the negative thoughts and persuasion. The destructive, hopeless thoughts that come from the pit of hell. Because that's where they're from. Come on, the enemy throws those thoughts in your mind. Brings a chain reaction of negative thought patterns. And a simple spark will cause an explosion of negative thoughts in your mind. Making a mountain out of a molehill. Come on. We need to leave thoughts behind like everything and everyone is against me. Come on. You ever felt that way? I know some of you have. You don't want to admit it. It's okay. Everything is against me. It's a tendency to jump to a broad, over-generalized conclusions about yourself and your circumstances. Soon as something goes wrong, well, it's all against me. I can't make it. The whole world hates me. Come on. No one is on my side. 
It's just me. If I'm going to do it, it's got to be just me. Everything is against me. God wants you to know that everything is not against you. I know the thoughts I have toward you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Come on. Somebody else that God created? Satan that God created? Who can be against you? Stop saying everything is against me. Stop making negative predictions. Come on. Tendency to make highly negative, pessimistic predictions about your future for which there is no evidence. Come on. Which result in increased despair and even hopelessness. We make predictions about our future. Well, I mean, I'll put in for it, but I know I probably won't get the job. I know I'm not going to get that part in the play. I mean, uh, there's ten people that can sing better than I can, and four of them can act better than I can, so I know I probably won't get in it. I'm not going to get in that program. I can't do it. My house will never look that good. I'm not going to be able to get that car or do this thing or write that, whatever it might be. Why? Because of experience? Because of less than? You feel like you're less than? Come on. It's the enemy in your mind. It must be. Because God already told you, I know the thoughts I have toward you. They are thoughts of good and not evil. Come on. For a future and a hope. God already told you. So then like Paul told, I believe it was the Galatians, why are you being deceived by the enemy? When God already told you, what's up? Why are you allowing the enemy to deceive you and begin to make negative predictions? I can't. I won't. I'll never be able to. And then we jump to negative conclusions. Come on. That the worst is going to happen. We just jump to the conclusion. Well, she's not home yet, so something must have happened. She must be in a ditch somewhere. Somebody probably kidnapped her. Jump to negative conclusions. Come on. Well, teacher didn't call me yet or I didn't get my test back yet so it must be a bad grade come on it must be this it must be that God already told you what it is and we're going to say what it must be reminds me of the disciples when Jesus came to them walking on the water now I realize that when they looked out into the storm they at first thought it was a ghost but let's be realistic they had walked with Jesus, come on now, for a couple of years. They, they, they knew what his voice sounded like. They knew his shape. So after getting their eyes focused in the storm, come on, they had to at least at some point recognize him. And Jesus said, be not afraid, it is I. And, and, and Peter said, if it's you, let me come out on the water. Amazing. It's exactly what we do. Jesus just said, it's me. He said, if it's you. God just told you who it is. God told you that he loves you. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. He wants you to be above, never again beneath. But still us, well, I'll just stay down here. And we personalize it. Tendencies to assume that if something is wrong, it's all my fault. Well, probably if I wouldn't have done that, none of this would have happened. Everything is your fault. We need to get rid of these negative thinking patterns because they're learned. Come on. And therefore become automatic. 
in us. We need to stop personalizing. Everything is not your fault. And if you did do something wrong, go to the Lord, repent, get up, and move on. That's all he wants. That's what he wants. I know there are things in our life that move us emotionally and bring us to tears. I realize that. But we must understand that it's not the tears so much that move God. Now, if we have them, that's for us. You know, it's kind of like my mother-in-law tells her grandkids sometimes. When they, they, they start getting on their nerves and, and doing different things, she said, go in your room and work it out. You go work it out. Whatever you need to do, go in there, work, cry, yell, whatever you need to do, go in there, work it out. Then when you've worked it out, come back. I believe God tells us sometimes. I'm not telling you it's not good to cry. It's good, but it's good for us. It's not for God. So he might be telling you this morning, okay, go work it out. You need to cry. You need to boo-hoo about your situation. Go in there. Work it out. That's okay. I'm patient. I've waited. I've waited all this time. How old are you? 30? I've waited 30 years. I can wait another day. Go in your room. Work it out. So cry, boo-hoo, beg. And then when you're done with all that, wipe all the snot off. Come on. Wipe your tears away. Stand up. Pull yourself up, get yourself together, go to the Lord and say, God, I repent. Please forgive me. I accept your forgiveness that you've already given me on the cross. I know you have a mercy that was new this morning. I'm sorry for what I did. I failed. But, Lord, here I am before you. I am transparent before you. I repent of that thing. I was doing it this way, and now I'm going this way, Lord. I repent. And God will say, well, come on then. I've been waiting on you to say that. Come on. Let's go, because I have a future and a hope for you. Come on, a future and a hope. <laughs> we need to understand that my new day brings me the, gives me the power, and it brings me the power to start over. That's why I love the new year so much. And I know it's cliche-ish, and I know it's nothing but really another day. Really all it is, we make it into a new year and all of that kind of a thing, and it's just another day. It's went from Saturday to Sunday. We did that last week. It went from Saturday to Sunday, you know. And if you owed the bill on Saturday, and more than likely because they're not open, you're still going to owe it on Sunday. Okay? So I know it's just another day. But it just gives us a new opportunity to say, you know what? This is a new day. This is a new opportunity. And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my foot in the ground. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And things are going to be different. It gives us an opportunity to make some declaration. It gives us the power to start over. Jesus did that for us. Oh, you don't remember what Paul said. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Oh, yeah, Jesus gives us the opportunity to start again. And guess what? It doesn't matter how young or old you are. As long as you got breath in your body, you have the opportunity to start again. It's not over. God has the, is he a mighty God or not? He has the ability to do it, to take you from right where you are. Well, you know, I'd, I'd have messed up too much. I mean, I know he took Sister Jody and he did some things, but you, you don't, she didn't mess up like I messed up. You think your mess up is greater than God's mercy? 
or his might. Come on. Oh, your arm's too short to box with God. Come on, somebody. Too short. Another version of that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it this way. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. Come on. The old life is gone. The new life begins. Look at it. Look at it. Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. Ah, the old way of living has disappeared. We got a new thought. We got a different speech. Come on. He's given us a new heart. A new way of living has come into existence. You say, well, what about the mistakes I've made? What about my mistakes, my errors? Come on. Calculations, my opinions, my judgment, my carelessness. What about all of those things? I want to tell you that the mighty God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. New starts are endlessly possible. Now, again, I go back to that doesn't give you the excuse to just keep messing up because you know God's going to give you a new start. Because we must understand that man looks at the outside and judges you by that. But God looks at the heart. He knows what's in your heart. And if in your heart is, well, I'll just keep messing up and keep starting over. Oh, well, then you got a problem. Then this goes over here and he's going to deal with you a different way. Come on. How many parents would deal with their kids differently if they knew the intent of their heart? You deal with them one way when they fall short and they mess up. Come on. They make some mistakes. But you deal with them differently if their intent is evil. Come on. This way might cause a little pain. I'm just saying from experience. Having received. New starts are endlessly possible. Jesus can remove all fear, guilt, shame, whatever it is that you have. Think about Thomas Edison. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Some of the young people, they still teach him in school. Thomas Edison was working on a contraption called a light bulb. And it took a whole team of men 24 straight hours just to put one together. The story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy helper who nervously carried it up the stairs. Step by step, he cautiously watched his hands, obviously frightened of dropping such a priceless piece of work. You probably guessed what happened by now. Yeah, the poor boy dropped the bulb at the top of the stairs. It took an entire team of men. 24 more hours to make another bulb. Finally, tired and ready for a break, Edison was ready to give his bulb, to have his bulb carried up the stairs. He gave it to the same boy who dropped the first bulb. God will give you another opportunity. Stop thinking less of yourself. 
because of your past mistakes. Come on. God also gives us a new day, and his new day, our, this new day expects God to do new things. It's an expectation. With this new day, it brings an expectation of God. Oh, David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because once you've tasted and once you've seen with your own eyes, you won't never want to go anywhere else. You won't want to do anything else. You'll want to press in. And if you don't have that in your heart right now, well, then you might. I'm not judging you. But you might want to ask yourself, have I really tasted and seen? Have I really tried him? Come on. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. God is saying through the prophet, behold, I will do a new thing. Come on. Now it shall spring forth. And guess what? You shall know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Another version says, forget about what's happened. Somebody needs to forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over the old history. Be alert. Be present. Be in the here and now. Come up to here. Come on. He's saying, I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. I know that when you look around, you see a desert sometimes. But God says, not only am I, am I able, but I'm about to make a road in the desert. Come on. I'm about to make rivers flow through the badlands. We need to expect new things, the new things that God has for you. They're already in the works. I've heard this, and I've said it, and now I believe it, that God is getting you ready for what he already has ready for you. It's already in the works. Come on. He's already made the way. He's already formed this thing over here. He's already created the new mercy for tomorrow. That's how it's there when you wake up. Here I am, mercy. Hello, good morning. Well, good morning, mercy. I hope I don't need you today. But I sure am glad you're with me. It's already there. New. He's doing a new thing. New. Hadas. Something not previously known. Unheard of in the past. Isaiah 42, 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And the new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. There's a new thing. We need to expect a new thing. An attitude of expectation stops looking backward, come on, and turns its head, chooses to look forward. Come on. We need to look forward. The new will cause all that happened in the past to fade away. Expect God to shift things around for you. Expect him to shift some things in your life, starting with your thought process. Come on, going right through your attitude and your heart. Then he's working on your speech. Come on. And then from that will birth the circumstances that God wants in your life. God doesn't start with the circumstances. He starts with you and me, and he starts right here. Come on. What used to be a struggle will no longer be a struggle for you. 
What has taken years is done in a fraction of the time when you give it to the Lord. Doors that were shut will now be wide open because you're doing it God's way. Come on. Missed opportunities come around again. Listen, I fully understand, and, and please take this to heart, because there's a lot of uh, opportunities of a lifetime. And, and, and for most of us, we need to seize the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. Come on. You understand that? We need to seize the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of an opportunity. Now, that's a nice saying, but some of us have missed that. Some of us have had opportunities of a lifetime come by, and we did not seize that opportunity. We let it go by. We tripped up. We did something different. I know I can tell a few stories. Come on. But now we're talking about the almighty God, who if your heart is toward him, will take one opportunity of a lifetime and turn it into two. Come on. He has a way of bringing it back around if your heart is toward him. Come on. Oh, yeah. Missed opportunities. Well, all of a sudden you see him coming around again. I thought that would never happen. I thought I missed that years ago. Guess what? Listen, here's what I want to tell you. Just because you mess up in your life doesn't mean God's purpose has changed for you. God has a purpose for your life. Now, because you turn your back on him and you run over this way and do that, that doesn't change that he has a purpose for your life. And if you'll simply turn around at any point in your life, his purpose, purpose, I'm still here. Hello. Are you ready now? You took all this time, but guess what? I'm still here. I'm here. What about you? Where are you? Well, you know, I've been doing this and that. I know, but I've been here waiting. I am here, he says. And then my new day brings repaired walls and repaired foundations around my life. I think about in Isaiah 58 where it said, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. Come on the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Jesus can restore and repair. What does that mean? It means he's making good the breaking of a stone by a workman, by a substitution. Come on. He's mending something that's torn. He's repairing broken vessels. Restoration to a former condition of health. Come on. God has a way of doing it. He has a way of restoring. Something you thought was absolutely and totally, that relationship is totally destroyed. We said things to each other that most enemies won't say to each other. Come on. I mean, the devil doesn't even treat people like we treated each other. This bridge is burnt. That thing, I mean, the gap between us is so big, uh, nobody can go across that. But guess what? Jesus is just big enough to lay down across that gap and make a bridge. Come on. As you can walk right across and come together. Oh, he's able to do it. He's a restorer. He's a restorer. And he can repair. There are many things he promises to restore. Not the least of these being health. Come on. 
God is able to restore health to us. I think that what most of us do, well, I can't say most. What some of us do, well, I might not even say some. I know what I have done in the past. Yeah, I can, I can say that one, Sister Sherry. Is I've prayed for good health, but then I eat the fried chicken and the pizza. Don't testify, Dietrich. Don't testify. Come on. I went to the I went to the doctor last week for my for my checkup. She said, "Now don't lie to the doctor about what you've been eating." Come on now. You don't you don't lie about Thanksgiving. So I told the doctor that. I said, "You know, my wife said she said, "Well, that's all you can lie if you want to, but these numbers not going to lie." I said, "Oh." Jeremiah 30:17, "For I will restore the health to you." And I will heal your wounds, says the Lord. This is the Lord talking, not me. I'm not, I'm not even prophet. I'm just telling you what the Lord is saying. He says, I will restore health to you and heal your wounds because they, are, they called you an outcast. I will restore it to you. God will restore your health. You just have to line up and do the things that you know you need to be doing. Come on. He'll restore life to you. And when I say life, I don't mean just that you were dead and came back to life, but in a sense, down and out, not going anywhere, speaking all those negative things. God will restore life to you and say, guess what? In the midst, maybe the situation hadn't even changed, but I just feel differently. I'm just speaking differently. And I don't care what people think about me and what they say about me. I will love the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored, and I'm going to declare it. And I'm going to walk and move right into it. Come on. I don't care what the world says. God will restore life to you. And with that, he'll restore your joy. Psalm 31, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous and righteous spirit. He will restore your joy. I love this one. God will restore wasted years. Oh, some of us have some wasted years. And some of y'all are not old enough to have any wasted years. But some of us have one or two, three, twenty, some wasted years. Come on. And God is just strong enough and he's just able enough to begin to restore all those wasted years. Time that we wasted. He put it like this. Listen, he said, don't waste the time. Take advantage of everything because these days are evil. Even though he told us that, we still wasted time. Come on. Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But some of us have some wasted years. He said in Joel, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you will restore those years unto you. God is able to do it. He's able. How are you going to do it, Lord? I don't know how he's going to do it. What difference does it make how he does it? He created time. Think about that before you start asking how is he going to restore the wasted years. He cre- there was no time. I want you to just think about that for just five seconds. There was no such thing as time. Take five seconds. 
Well, that took some time. We can't think about it. It's difficult to understand that there was no time. And God created it. Oh, he's able to, to restore wasted years. Come on, don't worry about how he does it. He'll restore your spiritual walk. Lord, I'm so far from you. I haven't, my Bible's got so many cobwebs on it. If I prayed, I wouldn't even remember how to pray. Come on. I haven't been to church in four years. Oh, my spiritual walk is a mess. I don't even know how what they do at church now. Last time I went to church, they was singing to the organ. Now they're drinking coffee. I don't know what's going on in church. You've been away too long. Come on. He'll restore your spiritual walk. Brethren, if a man, Paul told the Galatians in 6.1, is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, come on, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, just like God does you. Considering yourself least, also, that you might also be tempted. Come on. Restore. He'll restore your spiritual walk. He'll restore paths. He'll restore ways. Lord, I don't see how that could, ah, stop worrying about, I'll, let me make the path. I'll make a path. I just don't see. I mean, I'm in, I'm in so much debt. I'm, I'm so much overweight. Uh, you know, the, the relationship is so far gone. It's so this and so that. And by the time you keep talking about all the souls, God says, so? What does that mean or have to do with me? I can take care of all of that. Come on. God's able to do it. He'll make a path. He's able to restore the damaged soul. You've been hurt. You've been offended. Oh, poor thing. I've been hurt. I've been offended. I know what it's like. Not that I don't have any sympathy. I do. It's a terrible thing to be hurt, to be disappointed. Guess what? That's what man does to each other. When I say man, I don't mean male. Maybe a little more, but I don't mean male. I mean mankind. It's what we do. I'm not saying it's what we should do. I'm not prophesying. I'm not making a negative confession. I'm just telling you what I observe. And you know it just like I do. We disappoint each other. We disappoint each other because we're not there yet. So somebody needs to say, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. He's not done with you. Come on. But if you've been downtrodden, David said he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Because he will not let his name go down. No matter what you do. Come on. That's why he's going to restore you. Because he's not going to let his name be drugged through the mud. Come on. Last story. J. Stewart Holden tells of a Scottish mansion close to where he had a little summer home. The walls of one room were filled with sketches made by distinguished artists. The practice began after a pitcher of soda water was accidentally spilled on a freshly decorated wall, left an unsightly stain. At the time, a notice, not, noted artist, Lord Landseer, was a guest in the house. One day, when the family went out to the moors, he stayed behind. With a few masterful strokes of a piece of charcoal, that ugly spot became the outline of a beautiful waterfall, bordered by trees and wildlife. 
he turned that disfigured wall into one of his most successful depictions of Highland life. No matter what you mess up, no matter how you fail, no matter how you trip up, no matter how on purpose you mess up, come on now, God is able to come in and take what he's already given you, and he's able to mold and shape you. Sometimes the problem is he has to break us a little bit, and we don't like that because we've built up something. Come on. And, and, and in order for him to build what he wants, he's got to break what we made down a little bit and then do it the right way. How many know you can't build on a faulty foundation? And so God will break it down, and he'll build it up the right way. How many know that God is our new day? We should be thinking, talking differently. Come on.